0: Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The
1: best in life are free, but you can give them to the, and be the From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill, and this is our spring break special. Motley Fool CEO Tom Gardner recently sat down with best selling author Michael Lewis to talk about his new book, Flash Boys A Wall Street Revolt. This week, you'll hear the entire interview. In Flash Boys, Lewis explains the secret world of high-frequency trading, and he begins by talking about a big problem with the stock market.
0: Can I just start? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Rather than you ask me a great. question. This is great. Because you, before we went on camera, you just said, and a fool is a good thing. And I, you just triggered a thought that that this, the experience of writing this book uh, has uh, sort of hammered home. And it's that A big part of the problem in the stock market right now, or has been, that investors did not want to acknowledge their ignorance about how the stock market worked. Mm. So they're willing to believe the noise that came out of brokers' mouths Mm. about how electronic trading worked. Mm. Uh, And everybody is still, to this moment- And
2: not just investors, like small
0: investors, but like the CEOs of large mutual fund companies. The heads of mutual funds, the heads of pension funds, the big hedge fund managers, that the thing that they get quickly offended by, coming out of my mouth, say, is the idea that the hero of my book explains to them how the stock market now works, even though that's what happened. Mm. That two or three years ago, they had no idea how they were being front run by, by high frequency mm. traders. Mm. This guy comes and explains. They respond by saying, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Flash forward to now, and when they tell the story, oh, I knew most of what was happening, he helped me round out my understanding. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that this is, it's, it's a problem in finance, and I don't know quite why it's a particular problem in finance, the idea that ignorance is a sin, mm.
2: and so everybody's terrified about not knowing, mm. uh, when it's such an unhealthy... Mm. I'm not defending finance by asking this, but what industry is ignorance not a sin? I mean, obviously, it's maybe the greatest sin in finance, where you're essentially, in many cases in finance, acting as salesperson. I have an answer for country. you. Yeah.
0: my industry, journalism. Mm-hmm. It's great not to, being a detective, Columbo. Mm-hmm. You know that not knowing mm-hmm. is an excuse to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, that not pretending, not being a know-it-all, mm-hmm. is a huge advantage in
2: being a journalist. Mm-hmm. It's better to seem to know less than you know. Mm-hmm. Be- have you have you read the book The Outsiders by Will Thorndike? Is that I have not. Cool? Um, he points out eight CEOs that performed incredibly well over twenty-plus year periods as, C- as CEOs, and he he looks for the patterns across them. Right. And what he finds is that virtually all of these CEOs um, came from outside their industry, so they they acted as detectives. They had to figure out what was really happening. They brought fresh eyes to it, and they they didn't have. They didn't, Any convention no, to protect. And there was no stigma
0: associated with not knowing. Right. That's the, and there's a stigma associated with not knowing things in a rapidly changing environment, which is finance. Mm. So things are always not known. Mm. Uh, there's all this innovation going mm. on, much of it malign. And, I mean, n- nobody knows what a subprime CDO really is or whether it's really AAA. Mm. Mm. Nobody asks. Mm. I mean, that, it, that, that, so that's... I, I don't know why this is particularly a problem. I think it is a particular problem. Oh, it's, yeah, very, sure. it's very noticeable in finance. And it may be because in finance, it's filled with people who are rich, and they're used to people thinking they know everything, mm-hmm. and they like that pose of, I know everything. Well, it
2: creates an incredibly interesting dynamic now that technology is coming front and center into finance, and of course, and into every industry. And nobody knows anything about Automation algorithms. That. Right. And, and what, what what's, um, 61-year-old CEO of a large financial firm should know Things about that going in, and so they're they're seriously hurt by the fact that they can't willingly admit that they don't understand. So I'll tell you a quick
0: story I heard. I didn't put it in the book while I was working on it. So a guy who kind of I met who kind of experimented in designing high frequency trading strategies, but never really put him into practice. He was a professorial type. Mm. Um, Collided with an old trader who ran a money management firm who said. This was five or six years ago. Let's try your let's try your algo. Let's let's try let's go trade with you know the thing you dreamed up, and so the guy says I've never done it before, but let's do it. So he, they set, hook it up, so they're hooked up to doing trades, and they hit the button enter to go, and the thing starts doing maniacal things. I mean, it's like losing boom losing money. Hmm.
2: And, it's like an IBM commercial
0: right now. And and and. and the 61 year old CEO of the money manager firms, turn it off, turn it off. And they can't, hitting buttons and they can't turn it off. He goes on and he yanks the plug out of the wall to, keep, to shut the machine down. But it was just, you know, the, there is the, I mean, the, it's, it, is, it is sort of like the mark of, of the Wall Street man overconfidence. I mean, o- male overconfidence is responsible for so much trouble in the mm-hmm. financial system, mm-hmm. and when it collides with technology, it's particularly toxic. Mm.
2: Okay. Let's go with some of the basic themes of the of the book, just for those of us who aren't familiar with them. And I was saying to you off camera that high-frequency trading, dark pools, the whole dynamic between the two, flash trades, I've heard the terms, but I've never really spent much time digging into them because I'm buying stocks and holding them for five-plus years. So there's no
0: particular reason for you to know?
2: Nonetheless, it would be good for me to know now and now, For oh, one reason.
0: You know what the reason is? That the, you're talking about the structure of the market you're operating in. Mm-hmm. So while well, you just sitting on stocks may not be getting scalped mm-hmm. uh, that often, mm-hmm. um, the market is becoming increasingly unstable in the service, just to, mm-hmm. just to serve the high-frequency traders. Mm-hmm. And Flash crash. Flash crash is just its one symptom, but mm-hmm. you know, outages at NASDAQ, BATS IPO going crazy, mm-hmm. Facebook IPO, not, it's one thing after another. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, at some point, you have to pay to, uh, You shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to, but it probably behooves you to pay attention to, is this market stable?
2: Mm. So what is high-frequency trading?
0: A, a, it's a term of art that really didn't hit the newspapers or the public consciousness until maybe 2009 when when a Goldman Sachs programmer was labeled a Goldman Sachs high-frequency trading programmer, was arrested by the FBI for mm. taking Goldman's code. and. Uh, it's not. It's not easy to define. I guess you could say, if you want to be the loose definition, it would be, it would be trading by computer algorithm, at very high speeds, mm.
2: microseconds.
0: What's a microsecond? <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, yeah. it's a uh, milliseconds. I mean, in fact, at this moment, the cutting edge high frequency trading firms are talking about picoseconds, mm. and which is worse than nanoseconds. Mm. Uh, and, so, to put that in context. Um, I'm told that a blink of an eye is, takes between 100 and 200 milliseconds. Mm. Uh, and a millisecond is 1,000. There's 1,000 microseconds in a millisecond, 1,000 mm. nanoseconds in a microsecond, and 1,000 picoseconds in a mm. Right, so it gives you an idea. Mm. I like to think I can blink my eye faster. See, <laughs> I, I, did I, did I did it. You, you are see? ready to see? trade. You, trade. You, are you are ready to trade. I'm ready trade. to go. So, so, uh, so tell,
2: talk about spread networks. And and that the essentially, in a way, I, as I was reading, I was thinking this is like the very first oil pipelines. I mean, not maybe not necessarily the, the, the railroads. First. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, go. The railroads. Yeah. Uh, so, can I frame this just by saying? Please. All right. So the book has
0: got a very, it's a very simple um, structure. It's about one guy who's a trader on Wall Street figuring out how the stock market actually works. Even though he's in the stock market, he, he realizes around 2008, something's changing, I don't know, mm. what is it? And Spread Networks enters in the story even though it opens the story as an important data point for him in what's happened. So what Spread Networks is is, there was a trader on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange who realized that people were willing to pay for speed, incredible speed, um, but without totally knowing what it was for. His name was Dan Spivey. And Spivey, in 2009, uh, looks at the, the, the fiber optic line that runs from the Chicago Mercantile Exchange to the New, New Jersey Stock Exchange, where the st- actual stocks are traded. Futures are in, in Chicago, stock, individual stocks in New Jersey. And he sees that the fastest line goes like this from one place to the other. It's, it's a Verizon line. It takes like 16 milliseconds, mm. which go back and forth, which yeah. is not much time. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, he realizes if you, if you just laid a straight line fiber from the exchange to the, in, in Chicago to the exchange in New Jersey, you could get it down to 11 milliseconds. Mm. And that whoever was faster was going to, the, they, they, winning by a microsecond was enough.
2: And people were already people, trying to capture good areas of the Verizon line. That's right. And Verizon didn't even know what they had. They, they didn't realize, realize that they didn't realize were not it to finance, trade. They
0: didn't realize just how valuable very small increments of speed had become to stock market traders. Mm. And he did. He didn't know exactly how either. In fact he was flying blind in a lot of ways. But he, he persuades uh, Jim Barksdale who is the former CEO of Netscape uh, and some other investors but mainly Barksdale to give him 300 plus million dollars to dig a hole to dig a tunnel from Chicago to New Jersey on a straight line to lay this fiber completely in stealth he is able to string this line through it's, Pennsylvania turns out to be the problem it, you can lay it's pretty easy to run a straight line through Ohio and it, it, but 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 it, it, when you get to Pennsylvania, mountains. mountains are the problem. And the mountains run, the wrong, they run kind of diagonally. So he blasts holes through mountains. He, 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 buy, he goes through farmer's fields. He goes through parking lots. He buys rights away. What year is this? 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. So not that long yeah. ago, right? Yeah. Uh, he finishes it in the summer of 2010. Um, and uh, He's able to do it without anybody, anybody asking him what exactly is the line for, or at least not having to answer the question mm-hmm. uh, that people just well it's just some fiber mm-hmm. and the sole purpose of the line is to speed up stock market trades and mm-hmm. what it's really supposed to do I mean he, I don't think even he completely got this because he thought he was building a line that enabled people to do the arbitrage between the futures and the cash you mm-hmm. know but but what the way the high-frequency traders work is they're making lots of little mar- markets in small amounts of shares in all the stocks in New Jersey. They don't actually want to own these things. Mm-hmm. They're trying to tease out information. They're using, making the markets to tease out information about what
2: investors are doing so they can react to it. Mm-hmm. So they're listing 100 shares available <laughs> on either when side. an order is coming for 10,000 Right.
0: Shares. So they can find, ah, so I want to get on the other side. of that. I want to get in front of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the, the risk, the big risk for them, is that the whole market goes down and they're sitting here dangling out 100 share orders in 4000 different stocks and they get hit and they'll own a bunch of they own you know all that stock so they are very sensitive to overall market movements they need to know market pop and market not and the market popping and the market going down first registers in the futures in chicago so they get the market direction the directional signal from Chicago to New Jersey, say, it says get out of the market. You know what happened in the flash crest? My guess is it's not been well explained, mm-hmm. but my guess is that's how it starts. It's someone that it, it does start in the futures market, and then the next thing is all the people who are supposedly the intermediaries in the stock market just pull out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this line gets the signal mm-hmm. in the fastest possible way mm-hmm. from the Chicago exchange to the New Jersey exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, so spy
2: the great thing, I mean, there's several great things about this story, because so, he does it completely in secret. He doesn't tell any hyper... It's also great that he's doing it in secret, and he doesn't really fully know, you know why he, he's doing it. He, doesn't, he thinks he knows why, yeah. and he thinks he knows the market. Mm-hmm. He, thinks he, he thinks there are 400 people out there
0: who will pay, mm-hmm. he's guessing, $10 million a pop mm-hmm. to be on the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're guessing. I mean, there's this wonderful business k- school case study that someone will do about this one day. But so they start to go out into the market to tell high-frequency traders that if they want the fastest line he's got it just mm-hmm. flipping it on a week you better pay for it or you're out a bit or you or you're not you're gonna be last to know whether the market moved mm-hmm. um, and the high-frequency traders when he goes to see them they're like who the hell are you you know they don't know mm-hmm. what did you just do mm-hmm. ten million dollars you out of your mind we have basically like a costless line already from Verizon and then nobody knows how valuable it is and so they really want to like, throw him out of the office. Mm-hmm. But then they realize, he's right, mm-hmm. we've got to have it. And they, and but it isn't 400 of them, it's 27 of them, mm-hmm. it's not that many. Mm-hmm. But, they, but
2: In a funny way, they also begin to resent him. They hate him. Yeah. They all hate him. Like, they all hate him. They all hate him. My care. system is working. Now I'm going to have to pay $10 million, and now the game is on to go faster and faster to beat the other firms.
0: Right. They hate him, and he loves it that they hate him. He doesn't care. He's like the salesman who doesn't matter what his customers think about him. And he says this to me, actually. It was kind of fun to see how angry they got. Uh, one of the customers, when they walk in, gets angry, calms down, says, let us think about it. And then comes back and says, can you double the price? Because they wanted to price everybody else off the line. Mm -hmm. Um, The bank's response is riveting. So he goes into the banks. The banks are trying, at that point in their lives, think they're competing. I think they think they're going to compete in high frequency trading. Mm -hmm. That turns out not to be so, Mm -hmm. I think. But um, he goes into Goldman Sachs. and He goes into Credit Suisse, and Credit Suisse says, and he says you can you can least you can for ten million bucks you can be on the line, mm-hmm. but you can't let your invest your, your customers use it. Mm-hmm. You can't let anybody else use it it's just for your own proprietary trading. Mm-hmm. To which they say, screw you! You're trying to screw our customers. Mm-hmm. We, we won't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want us to trade against our customers at a faster speed than the customers could trade? It's going to look you know we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. He goes to Goldman Sachs and they say ship it in, we'll take it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and,
2: and, and I also like the Morgan Stanley. And the line. Morgan, goes to Morgan <laughs> Stanley and
0: they say. <laughs> could you change the language because <laughs> we want to do it out. yes the place we're called out so the optics aren't good uh, and but you he gets a he starts to develop the first picture of what this market looks like no one knows this market no one knows who these high frequency traders are mm. he's he's finding their names in kind of obscure sec documents mm. and calling them up out of the blue mm. and saying you have you don't know this but you have to meet with me mm-hmm.
1: coming up why flash boys is the new money ball this is motley fool money Welcome back to Motley Fool Money, I'm Chris Hill. Let's get back to Motley Fool CEO Tom Gardner's interview with Michael Lewis about his latest bestseller, Flash Boys, A Wall Street Revolt. In a funny way, Dan Spivey is similar to Brad and Ronan in that
2: when they went to present what they were developing, they were, it's Moneyball. They, the, they were laughed out of the executive suite at every baseball team stadium. It's very funny, you know, my brother David initially he wanted to go into baseball. He thought there was no path for him having read Bill James so early on. I don't know when Bill James first started writing, maybe in the early 80s or something, but Dave was there reading Bill James in the late 80s and really wanting to go into baseball and felt he would never have the ability to do it, so he went into investing because it was a meritocracy where, hey, people can laugh at me, they can say that my strategy doesn't work, but I have the The, result. The merit will out, yeah. We'll see what the results are and so you have these characters who are stepping in to yeah the executive suite and convention and being sort of initially laughed at before they explain why it is what they're doing and what it will mean. So here's also how it's very similar to
0: Moneyball. So the Oakland A's go and find basically with their actions, say to the rest of baseball, you don't know how to value baseball players and you don't understand the value of baseball strategies because we found inefficiencies in them and we we're exploiting them and that's how we're succeeding. And the book describes that process. And it, in the bargain, embarrasses everybody who's not doing it their way and creates this uproar and this anger. Brad Katsuyama and IEX, s- come out and say, we have created the only fair exchange where investors actually are on equal footing and there aren't people exploiting each other in the just in the structure of the exchange, um, thereby embarrassing and humiliating and shaming all the other, the, the 13 public stock exchanges and 46 dark pools are out there. And every, basically everybody is involved in the stock market and creating a very similar sort of uproar. And, and uh, it feels, the this book
2: feels, in, in the experience of publishing it, very similar to Moneyball. You know, it's interesting because um, there's so many other things I want to cover. I know we have limited time, but Dan Spivey, there's there's almost a little Moneyball in that. I mean, he's, he's seeing something that others aren't seeing. It's an unbelievable
0: act of entrepreneurial nerve to, to say... I'm going to lay a straight line from Chicago, okay. new, I'm going to dig a tunnel in total, I'm going to blast through the Allegheny Mountains, and, and I'm going to do it completely in stealth, no one's going to know, and I'm going to spring it on a
2: market I don't even know. But then what it creates is bad actions. That, that use of the technology, that, that great new insight and in active entrepreneurialism leads to something that you certainly, I think, from the tone of the book, don't favor. So here's why I have a
0: thing i got to kind of square in my head, and it's this. So I think Spivey's entrepreneurial act was incredible. I mean, it's like, this is what makes America great, that someone's willing to go do that. And, uh, and at the same time, the use to which this thing is put is, is not great. But I would say this, that the high-frequency traders were always gonna have the fastest line. They were gonna be doing this, I don't think he increased the take that high-frequency traders have in the market, um, mm-hmm. he he just took he just taxed them. Mm-hmm. It's almost a pure tax. So in a way, it was kind of charming. He was bleeding the profits of high-frequency trades. It's mm-hmm. like someone who sneaks onto the pirate ship and steals the pirate's stolen gold. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels mm-hmm. like.
1: Coming up, Tom and Michael discuss a can't lose business. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. This week we're sharing a recent interview that Motley Fool CEO Tom Gardner did with Michael Lewis about Lewis's new book, Flash Boys, A Wall Street Revolt. You know, I think a lot of people, myself
2: included, initially thought high frequency trading was profitable because of speed. And that was it, that they had some... They had some... They, well, why had why some, would
0: speed be valuable all by itself? I, well, I,
2: I, I was com- going to combine it with that they had their beliefs about where the market was going based on their fundamental research. Right? Yeah. So I'm a fool. I don't feel uncomfortable that's being laughed very at. sweet. No, this no, is no, why but, this book was so valuable but this to is me, very, Michael. It's very I mean, good. I didn't know what the high-frequency trader advantage was. They have speed. They're there first, but what if they're wrong?
0: So he, couple this. with So two things. One is... Their, their, their obsession is with speed, right? with microseconds advantages. And two, the fact that what we know of them, they never experience a day of trading losses. That every day is profitable. Mm-hmm. 1000
2: days of no trading mathematically losses. impossible unless So how does
0: that unless you're basically gaming a market mm-hmm. unless that is that is not there's no you can't be taking market risk you can't be making judgments mm-hmm. about stocks mm-hmm. no matter how good you are as a money manager you will have loss. you will mm-hmm. have stocks that go down some days mm-hmm. right of course of course so they're doing something different mm-hmm. oh, well this is why this book was so
2: valuable <laughs> yeah. to me yeah, no, and what they're doing is explain dark pools and what 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 is happening with the various firms so, are- with it, So, one of the things the book tries to do
0: through the journey of Brad Katsuyama is divine the different predatory strategies. I don't pretend to have gotten them all. Mm-hmm. He, gets four, he finds four big ones. So, um, one is... One, I'll give you an example. Of the one that's Great. easiest to sort of get your mind Perfect. around is the first one he discovers. He's sitting at his desk, at his trading desk in southern Manhattan. Uh, in 2008. Previously, before this, he starts to know something is wrong. When he would look at his trading screens, he'd see however many stock markets there were at the time. He'd look across them and he'd say, well, all together in all the markets, there's 20,000 shares of Microsoft offered at $25 a share. I can buy, and if I want to buy 20,000, he hits a button, I'll buy 20,000 and he gets them at 25. He would just get them. Mm -hmm. One day he wakes up and he hits the button and he only gets a couple thousand, like everything else disappears and Microsoft's stock goes up. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that from then on, that every time he hits a button to buy or sell, it's like the market knows what he's trying to do and mm-hmm. runs out in front of him and either jacks the price up or sends it down, depending on whether he's buying or selling. It takes him a year and a half to figure out how,
2: what is happening in this By the particular. way, how much do you think it's moving up? Let's say 25 pennies. 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 Yeah. So but, he's but putting over, in his buy at 25.01 but, 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 but and But over the course disappear. of a year in his
0: trading of course, desk, it's yeah. tens of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so it takes an incredible act of uh, sort of detective uh, ingenuity for him to figure out what actually is happening, and what actually is happening is one of the, stri- one of the HFT strategies is his signal from is the signal the buy signal from his desk goes up the side of the West Side Highway in, a, in fiber optics, goes out the Lincoln Tunnel in the fiber optics that are on the side of the Lincoln Tunnel, and arrives first at the Bats Stock Exchange, which is planted right on the other side of the Lincoln Tunnel. I don't know why it was built there, but it's interesting that it was mm-hmm. built there. The other exchanges are further away. It takes his buy signal longer to get to those, those exchanges. At, on the BATS exchange, high-frequency traders are making small markets in, the, in Microsoft mm-hmm. to divine the intentions of, of uh, brok- brokers who are sending in orders. Mm-hmm. They divine his intention to buy Microsoft, and they race him and beat him to the other exchanges, buy up the Microsoft, and then sell back to him at a higher price. Mm-hmm. So that's what happens in that case. Mm-hmm. And every time he-
2: It's parasitic.
0: It's parasitic. No matter what exchange he landed in first, they would beat him to the other exchanges to get, to get whatever stock was there. So the fragmentation of the market created this opportunity for people to race back and forth between the markets. Mm-hmm. And the dark pools add even more fragmentation. So it's the, uh, one way to kind of generalize what's happening is that sort of like there's 60 places now where you can buy and sell the stock of, uh, of Apple
2: or... or, or For or for, for some- investors, let's say for large investors who don't want the market to know what investment they're making. So they send their order into a dark pool. <laughs> Which is ends up not being <laughs> right. a dark pool. It's like, a- by the way, we put a couple flashlights in the dark pool <laughs> and, and it- we've given bathing suits <laughs>
0: That's exactly right. So they give flashlights to high-frequency traders in the dark pool. They've given them special access, sold them access to the dark pool. And then what they do is the way the big banks tend to route the orders is they tend, it's like they want the order to be executed in their dark pool. Mm. So they do everything possible to prevent it from being executed outside the dark pool. So they hoard the orders. So they keep big orders that might cross away from each other. So buyers, this system of intermediation has been has has evolved to prevent buyers and sellers from coming together too easily, Mm. because otherwise you don't need the intermediary.
2: Mm. Uh, So people are saying, I'm sure it's happened in some of your interviews, I know that I've read online, some people are saying, well, this is just great. I don't know why Michael Lewis is raising an alarm here. This is creating a tremendous amount of liquidity in the market. It's allowing investors to be down penny to penny, rather than back in the day in 1989 when I was buying shares, it was like you could buy it at 35 and an eighth, and this, or, you know, it's 35 and an eighth to 35 and seven eighths. So I mean, techno- we're not talking pennies. So, te- we're, so we're out right. of fractions, we're into decimals. And so people this- are
0: saying this. People are saying this. Look, let us see if I can explain this. But so technology has brought wonderful gains to many industries. I can, when I was uh, living in London, when I was 24 years old, it cost me like $2 a minute to make a phone call to my parents. Mm-hmm. It now costs me whatever, a pennies a minute, right? Mm-hmm. Now so imagine, and that's because of gains in technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, now imagine if someone, some gremlin, in the middle of the telephone system, in the process of that declining price, uh, instead of letting it go down to two or three pennies a minute, wedge way in, wedges in and charge me 10 cents a minute or a nickel a minute, mm-hmm. I'd say, wow, the phone system's still so much better. Mm-hmm. Why, why they, am I upset with the And they were the first grumbling? ones to
2: go out publicly and say, we're creating... We're, we're I mean, creating phone calls. We're creating voice, sound at a lower so price So let me give technology. you
0: another explanation to couple with that explanation. If If you take any market, take a stock market, if the government waved a wand over and said, so you now have to be front-run. Here's the government entity that will front-run Scalper Zinc. Scalpers Inc. will front-run every trade. Uh, what is the effect on this market? It will double the volume in the market mm-hmm. because every trade gets front-run. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden the Scalpers Inc is is twice the creates twice the volume. Mm-hmm. And if you think vo- liquidity is volume, mm-hmm. yes, you increase liquidity. Mm-hmm. And you can start to say you can't get rid of Scalpers Inc because otherwise the market would be half the size of the, mm-hmm. it, that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's Liqu- you have to define liquidity. Mm-hmm. What is liquidity? It's your ability to turn your your stock into cash. Mm-hmm. They're not there to do that. Mm-hmm. They're not there taking
2: risk. They go home every night without positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, without them, technology and decimalization, the spreads would be narrower. That's, that's true. The
0: actual spread will be narrower. I mean the stated spread is often a penny, mm-hmm. right? It's tiny. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's an illusion. The minute you go to act on that spread, it widens mm-hmm. with any, with any <laughs> volume. So what has this changed
2: for you in your active day trading? I don't... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my question. You, you were, what, what impact does this have on your approach so I have, to investment and in Can Kool I just tell you what my reaction yeah. was? Re- so my
0: reaction was, first, unbelievable story that this has happened mm-hmm. and that these guys went not figure it out. So that was my first reaction. Then I, but how it affects me personally, as an individual investor, I am the most passive investor there is. I, I hardly, I, t- I take very little interest in it. I don't trade and, and I hold long-term. And so the scalping side of things matters very little to me i I mean i'm not losing that much money however this is a system-wide tax on investment on investment capital and i don't know what it is it's 20 billion or 30 billion whatever it is a year it's a significant sum of money so uh that's bad for the economy productive enterprise pays more for capital because of this Mm -hmm. now that's in a way trivial in real compared to the instability caused in the system by the complexity required by high frequency traders and imposed on the, and demanded of the exchanges by high frequency traders. So what is the instability? What do flash crashes and NASDAQ outages and all this lead to? It leads to mistrust in the investment public. Mm -hmm. Why on earth are fewer Americans, is there a decline of individual American investment in the stock market during one of the greatest bull markets in history? It's because people don't trust it. I mean, people are, there is is mistrust, understandable mistrust of this market. It's an unstable market. So, here's what's funny, the cost of the mistrust? Well, well, here's a you funny thing, me.
2: I mean, I don't, I don't want to put you in the position of being I- incredibly selfish, but I'm going to for the fun of it. Doesn't all of that actually benefit you as a passive long-term investor? I mean, I don't want to make it all about each of us in, as an individual, but if so much of the financial machinery and the people that are behind it, which are becoming fewer and fewer as the machines take over, is focused on trying to slice down the time and the frequency that they can, they can activate trades and the information they can get to, yeah, to to just nibble and be a parasite on every transaction. There's so much attention there. Isn't that doesn't that open up a and and if the rest of the marketplace is therefore distrustful well, doesn't that I, create, create a great opp- opportunity. long-term opportunity for a long-term passive investor like you? I think about that one. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, uh,
0: I think that my ba- I'm not saying it's a good thing. No, I mean, right, yeah. like, so my re- my reaction, my basic reaction is probably not because what I'm thinking is I'm a long-term passive investor. What am I actually doing as a long-term passive investor? I'm making an investment in the future profits of of American corporations, or the the corporations in my portfolio. and those future profits are going to be badly affected by an unstable market if they're operating in an unstable market. I mean, it's just not good. So, but, but as a stock picker, if I was a long term stock picker, maybe it creates more. If fewer people want to be in the marketplace,
2: maybe it creates a bargain, a bargain or two for me. I don't know. I just don't know. But I don't I but, think but that, The overall instability yeah, I and, and loss of trust in the market system. So can I add one more thing sure. as a
0: cost? And I don't think it's trivial. So if you create an industry on Wall Street that sucks in the brightest best in the brightest, whose job is basically to game the system and scalp investors and you create that as a model for success in this country and like that's what people kids who graduate from Princeton Harvard and Yale think is successful, what is the effect of that instead of doing something
2: actually useful?: I love the description in the book of I think it's John Schwal, his first name John Yes Schwal. Um, and he's assembling the LinkedIn networks to understand what's happening with high-frequency trading businesses, because none of the executives will go on record, and they'll fire anyone if they speak in the media, but so many of the developers, the software developers, the technology are going onto LinkedIn and posting what they do, and he's able to connect those networks and read what they're doing, and he comes to the conclusion that all of these very bright, presumably very bright developers, don't know. They don't have an, any idea what they're doing. That's they're right. building the whole technology platform. They, they have no idea how it's being used. Everybody's being to it, used it, to parasitically nibble off trades right. across, across the market. Right.
0: That's right. It's amazing, and they found this, the people at IEX found this over and over, that, that the technologists tended, not always, but tended to be so narrow, so specialized, that they didn't have a sense of how their work fit, fit into the big overall picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a real misuse of talent and resources,
2: so that's disturbing. I have a potential solution. I'd like to have you shoot it down, because I, I can't shoot it down in my mind right now, but I'm sure it can be. Maybe you can't shoot it down because it's your solution <laughs> and, and I'm so, and you really don't want so, to. I'm so egotistically okay, but I'll yeah. try. Um So here's what it is, why don't we apply capital gains tax rates tied to the length of your holding period. We do, in, in a very, so, in a very gener- macro, in a very you macro know, No, you're saying if, if it's a millisecond. Yes, it's, 90, <laughs> it's 98% capital gains tax. And, and, and basically, if it's 10 years, it's, zero, it's 0% tax so capital I gains. So here's
0: the thing. I mean, this is going to sound crazy coming from my mouth right now, but I have no doubt that there's some useful high-frequency trading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you start mucking around in the markets that way, I think what we need is more transparency about what's going on. I think there are other ways to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. That seems like I don't know what the consequences. It seems so great that
2: that, New- y- that everyone now needs to be in New York. I, I love the firm. I, I can't remember um, in the in the in the brilliant story that you've told here. The firm that feels like it's fine to be in Kansas. Yes. and then they they're waking up to the reality well like, you
0: remember I you you probably remember there's a ton of people saying that you know, the great thing about oh, yeah. now the technology doesn't means matter you where can, you are. doesn't matter where you are but
2: if everyone needs to converge closer and closer right in the center of New York City and New York City has like the highest tax rates why don't we tax that fre- high frequency <laughs> trading this is they have they really have to be in New York well
0: they have to be is in New Jersey which' Jersey they have to be they have to have their machines next to next to the yeah. com- the, yeah. the stock exchange that's the thing Wall Street is no longer on Wall Street it's in New Jersey
1: uh, and it how that happened. I don't know. I ended up with too much stuff coming up. What's the real cost of high frequency trading? Stay right here. This is Motley Full Money. Got to put it all behind me, got to give it all up. I ended up with too much stuff. <laughs> Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and we're wrapping up Motley Fool CEO Tom Gardner's interview with bestselling author Michael Lewis. Michael, what do you think it,
2: b- broadly is happening with technology and like algorithms, robots? Does this interest you, or do you just happen to have gotten deeply into the story because it's in the world of finance, which you have spent so much of your life? I'm probably life? not as
0: interested as I should be, but I, I, you can't help but notice that the technologist is displacing the trader on Wall Street. I mean that that's what's been happening is machines have replaced people so the people who control the machines are the people who have increasingly power, or people who
2: understand the machines. So. So, the, one, Russian, I mean, the Russian technologist who's who's in jail, rightly or wrongly now. He, they let him out, but yes. Okay. he's in, Oh, they let him the, out. He okay. Was, he was, he was, uh, his conviction was overturned after he spent a year in jail. Okay. Okay. So, but the, those technologists, you're saying, are they are the future of Wall Street. Like Pixar is the future of Hollywood in some way. I mean, technology that may be a backroom basement tool that has been used by investment firms is becoming much more front and center, and ultimately will be the leader of those firms. So
0: I think one of the reasons the high-frequency trading industry, this shadowy, uh, very small firm kind of industry, has has gr- flourished, is that the big banks n- did not. Confer enough status on the technologists who could create high-frequency trading platforms, mm. and so that they went and did it outside right. the banks. They don't They're respect like, the. They don't respect the technologists. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably changing, but slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think that I mean the geek geekific- the geekification of Wall Street started when I was there. Mm-hmm. I mean that all of a sudden the Solomon Brothers trading floor, the guy who used to be the guy who ran the thing was big and hairy and mm-hmm. you know ape-like kind of thing, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and 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 he got replaced by these weedy MIT guys who had no hair anywhere. Does this cause and, to be a
2: long-term optimist about the markets and market stability, and do you believe that the book has the potential to have a major impact? I mean, I presume that's part of the reason you spent probably a very intense period, given how recently this happened, to actually sit down and write this book. Are you an optimist that things are going to be, transparency will win, and that the market will be more stable for investors? I think it's
0: going to be a war. I really think that we're it's going to be an ugly, long war. And I think that Brad Katsuyama, in IEX. The, I, I think Brad is Frodo Baggins in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. I think he's created, he's sort of like, he's, he has antagonized Mordor mm-hmm. and the orcs are rising on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, he's got this Fellowship of the Ring thing with mm-hmm. investors, big investors who are su- supporting him. And there's a, the war is between, ultimately, big investors who manage little people's money mm-hmm. and uh, the system that is exploiting the money. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know where it ends up. I don't actually know where, where it ends up. I do think this, it's it's not gonna just go away quietly. It's not mm-hmm. the book's not gonna be published and then people are gonna forget about it because they got all these investigations going on. Mm-hmm. And I do think also that if the world changes, it won't be because of a book. It'll be it will be the people it, but IEX could be the lever that you create this fair exchange it really is and it's really a fair exchange mm-hmm. and you're committed to restoring trust in the financial markets you get, what you do is you give people a choice and so all of a sudden they're making it's not one dark pool versus another or one s- exchange that's sold out to HFT versus another exchange that's sold out to HFT you actually have a fair place that's operating in the interest of investors that you force a choice into the the world that hasn't existed before, and that's very seditious. Certainly, so
2: an opportunity to have a purely transparent. Yes, it, there's no
0: reason it can't market. be. I think of there's course. no. So I do think. I actually I think they're going to win. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, but I do think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have I can imagine several paths to change. I mean, I can tell you what I think the most likely is. Mm-hmm. The most likely is, one of the public exchanges, possibly the New York Stock Exchange, says, it's actually this thing is turning fast, the old business model of deriving our revenues from high frequency traders is going to collapse let's buy IEX and make them the New York Stock Exchange. Mm-hmm. Let's wake at the reputational so, win. Yes. And Huge just, reputational yeah. so win. They, someone, so Goldman Sachs has been the first mover in the banks to get behind IEX and no one else has followed.
2: I love that part of the reason that could be true is because they realize they can't catch up technologically. That's right. That's right. So they're like, that's your point. That's let's your play part. the, reputational side, play of the reputational side Let's play the reputational side Let's win so, with what so we have. So there's no
0: reason an exchange, one of the exchanges won't do the same thing. And that would, the, the natural one
2: to do it is a New York Stock Exchange. Mm. Michael, I know. By the way, so in that scenario, you are our J.R.R. Tolkien. We hope you're safe out I there thought, writing about this. I, th- I
0: thought I was Gandalf. <laughs> okay,
2: you're Gandalf. I love that, but you're such a youthful Gandalf. Um, okay, so- I'll be one of the uh, one of the humans. Uh, you know, one of those guys. Of I'll be Vigo. Okay, perfect. You're Vigo. So, um, I know you're not going to share this with us. This is a final question I'm getting from uh, Mac, our producer, that um, you have to go. You've got another a variety of interviews here in New York, so thank you for spending time with us. Federal Communications Commission license number 1215095. I googled it. I need to dig deeper. You do. There's a clue. Has someone figured the mystery of the, the final page of your book out? Uh, some, not
0: someone who's going to put it in print. But an investor got to the bottom of it very quickly.
2: Okay, got it. Uh, So do you have any additional clue or hint for us? Or no, we're on our own. There's enough there. There's enough there. That investor did it. You can figure out who did it. There's a puzzle at the end of this great book, and we're going to figure it out together in the Motley Fool One
1: community. Why not? Michael. Thank you. Thank you. It's fun. That's going to do it for our spring break special. The book is Flash Boys, A Wall Street Revolt. The show is mixed by Rick Engdahl. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.